0: What's going on, guys? AJ here back again with another episode of the E1B2 Collective Podcast, bringing you yet another episode of Let's Talk Startups. I am so, 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 so excited and grateful uh, for my guest today. Uh, She brought it. And frankly, I think I brought it too. Like today's episode is so tangible, so detailed, um, you know. And she also did an amazing job of living into me and, and, and having a lot of empathy for what we're doing here with the E One B Two Collective, what we're doing with Startup BX, what we're doing with Beyond Brand Studios, what we're doing with um, Beyond Resume, what we're doing with uh, you know Founder Coach, what we're doing with all of these great projects. She really lived into um, just the contextual nature of what we're trying to bring to the world of startups and really. Gave us some great feedback and then as we always do we went very deep into her background what she's seeing within the startup world today what startup entrepreneurs need to think about what leaders need to think about what founders need to think about Uh, this was a great episode guys and I know I say that all the time maybe it's because every single episode is great, but more importantly, I honestly think that every single time that I record these interviews, I really have this conversation. It gets better and better and better. So, thank you so much to today's guest. Not going to give you guys uh, her actual name yet. I'm going to let you guys find out. She's that amazing. Um, so, thank you guys for uh, listening. I'm going to thank you in advance and then thank you for all those that have downloaded, subscribed, and enjoyed every single episode of this podcast. Let's get right into another episode of let's talk startups um i really don't do any intros or any deep kind of prepping from like a um uh, like hey this is you know whatever podcast i really like keep it very very casual i'm very inspired by the joe rogan gary Vaynerchuk, um uh my first million those are, like three podcasts that are super raw um so we kind of get right to the point and we kind of jump right in.
1: Okay, I'll take your lead. I did hear you go in and out for a second when you talked. just oh, FYI. No.
0: Okay, uh, maybe we'll talk for the next 30 seconds to make sure everything sounds good. How am I sounding? Oh,
1: no. You sound good. You sound good.
0: Okay, you sound good as well. Seems like okay. everything's all set.
1: All right, let's get started.
0: Let's hop in. Um, so uh, who are you? Let's just start there.
1: <laughs> well, I'm Seema Alexander. Um, uh, let's start with I'm a mom of two. I have two kids that are six and 10. I run a company called Disruptive.CEO, and it's an advisory and coaching practice for CEOs and their teams who are focused on repositioning to scale. Um, so I can go much more into that detail if you want me to, or else uh, we can go ahead and get started.
0: Yeah. So what uh, what size companies are we talking about?
1: So there's two, two distinctions. I work with lean teams that are sort of visionary leaders in the service-based environment. And then I work with companies that are between five and 200 employees or both sides of the story are in growth stage um, and are really at this point. And and if you will have to make some very strategic decisions and and have some internal discussions on, who they were when they first started is not who they are today. Obviously, through pivots and learnings and successes and challenges. If you're an entrepreneur listening to this, you know we all go through all of that. Uh, most of the companies that I work with are, you know, at a five-year mark, if not ten-year mark, um, and they're, you know, they're at a stage that they have to make some strategic decisions to figure out who they want to be when they grow up. How do they want to show up? Their brands uh, internally have shifted so much that. Either they haven't even articulated the, the evolution of their vision, if you will, uh, internally to get clarity there, or they definitely haven't done it externally. So there's a lot of missed opportunities um, in the framework that I present to a lot of my clients. Uh, so that's that's the focus of who I speak with or who I work with.
0: So I'm going to try something new. Are you OK with that? Of course. OK, so um the and I think I told you this when we first met. So the basis of my podcast is twofold. Number one, bring value, build community, um, all the things that I think we all know. Uh, my second focus is 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 incredibly selfish, uh, slash very very helpful, and it's, it's selfish because I need to continue to empathetically understand the context, the perspectives, the problems that individuals like you that I'm hoping can be a potential. Um, whether it's connector, partner, whatever it looks like in the future state. And then really some of the founders that I bring on, I need to understand what's in their mind with the work that I'm doing. And then it's also selfish because it gives me an opportunity to really um, ask direct questions that I need to know where I would have to go through other means of of asking those questions. So um, I typically wait to the very end of the episode, uh, probably the last seven minutes to ask a few questions. But something you said has uh, motivated me and inspired to ask those questions now. Can can I Let's, can I flip it on you?
1: I'm happy to do it. Let's go. All
0: right. I'm going to give you my seven minutes of selfishness. Then we're going to go back to just all about you. Okay. All right. Um, so something that I don't know how much you remember, because there's been a lot of personal things that have happened throughout uh, the last, probably what would you say, about a month and a half. And I really appreciate your your flexibility and your patience with me um so it's been a while since we've talked um i don't know how much you know so let me give you just a very brief quick background um i run a company called the e1b2 collective that company holds three different projects the biggest and most exciting project i think is a company called startup bx um the way that you just described what you're doing is very similar to the way that we work five to three hundred employees growth organizations they're at a pivotal moment where they're looking for that first head of people, moving from traditional HR, trying to bring in someone to steward to people operation functions, uh, change behaviors at the organizational level, a lot of great things. At that perspective, that's our sweet spot. We jump in as a collective rather than having one person do that because I and all of my partners have realized that um, having one person, you're running around with your head cut off and it's just more productive if you set up shop first and get things built um so we have very i don't want to say similar models but the inflection points and the size of the companies and some of the problems may may have parallels so that's the context of i don't know if you remembered that it's been a while since we chatted um mm-hmm. so my question self you, is this how do you think about that particular problem that we are trying to solve since you are jumping in and and you're jumping in organizations during certain inflection points at a similar size. What have you seen? And I know you're focusing on different things than I am, but you've been close enough. You may have heard from afar. You may have paid attention at certain points. What have you seen throughout your career with this particular business model you're running now at those inflection points, how they're thinking about people operations, really leadership behavior internally how it shows up and affects innovation, product output, productivity, and the macro thesis of culture. How how have you been thinking about that?
1: Wow, lots of lots of lots to uh, unpack there. So I think what I will start is when you're at an inflection point, and you're looking now to hire like people, more people, more infrastructure, you're obviously in growth stage, right? And so a lot of times what happens is people decide, you know what, we've built enough traction, we're going to now we're going to hire people, we're going to start building out the processes, all of that. But what they leave behind is some of the work and some of the key decision points of what I work with them on. And that is, okay, who is this new world of that we are? Who are we now? Right? Who truly is our ideal client? Like what is our, um, well, how do we move from being this generalist? A lot of professionally, professional services companies out in the market, you know, start off as generalists and, You know, as you get into the growth mode, it's really important to start to think through this whole world of being a specialist. Right. And and you've learned so many lessons. What can you own? And then really uh, taking that information and all that years of experience and creating your own frameworks, processes, methodologies, IP, so you can start to own it. And then reestablish yourself in the market as a thought leader and then reconnect with your network in a, a multitude of ways to really not only build out your network, but build out opportunities for business through partnerships and otherwise. And what I see from your question is when you do, when you, when you you go into it and you're in this growth mode, you start hiring all these people and there's no internal rally cry, there's no clarity in vision and mission, you can hire a ton of people and they come very seasoned. But what happens is things start to fall apart because there's a lack of collaboration and communication within the departments. People are kind of working on their own things, if you will, because they have set objectives, maybe. Right. But it's like that. It's like that tipping point If they're, they're, we're not going after something altogether together. Um, And that clarity of that vision is in there and much deeper than the vision, right? It gets into the strategic planning of certain things. Yeah. Um, But that question of like, where do we want to be when we grow up, right? And I'll give you an example. I was just working recently with a a government contracting firm, pretty large. You know, they're in major growth mode. And I had an opportunity to go in with their executive team. I actually interviewed 15 of their executives. They did just that. They hired well. Um, They've been winning. But they know, in three years, they're going to be graduating from the status in the government world from this eight a status to like competing this full and open market, and they had to figure out like it's a what got us here will not get us there right, so they went out and they hired a ton of really great people, and they are all through their previous experiences through what they 've learned over the years they're all focused on their core things, but you all know, had to step back and you know look at what is the what what are those core questions we need to answer? What is the market telling us? What are our core capabilities telling us? Who, like, you know, is service and delivery and sales speaking the way that they need to be? Is HR looking at it just from an administrative perspective? Or are they looking at that leadership development, employee engagement? Where do all those connectivity points start to fit in? And I think that's where the work you do and the work I do there, you know, it's almost like you know, chicken or the egg type of thing, right? But they're both really important conversations and important strategies to put together and make sure to have a successful company. People know who they are, where they're going, how they're going to get there, have employees that are ambassadors, right? And have their head of people really owning that process uh, throughout, you know, throughout their growth stage.
0: So everything you just said is amazing. And I agree with every single word. So I guess here's my... uh that was helpful for me just to hear. So again, this is so selfish guys. So sorry. Anyone that's listening, <laughs> even though everything you said, people can find value in that. Like that was, that was very helpful. So, um, but this is my time. So um, my last question for me. Um, so knowing that, right. Our model is this, and this is, and I'm asking you directly because again, I, I like to be very clear. And I was clear when I met you originally and everyone else. Right. Um I don't connect i'm not a podcaster i'm not a speaker i'm not a brand um from that angle i i have these conversations to find ways to help bring value to each other obviously bring value to the community and inevitably hopefully work together in some form or fashion so my question to you would be this now you've been close to the companies maybe not the government sector because we're not touching that so let's let's maybe not talk about that particular angle of it but some of the other organizations the growth organizations, you've been working with companies similar in size and, and, and speed of growth that we, we want to work with. What we're doing is, we have seen, I guess, how do I want to work this? We have seen that it is better use of time to have a collective unit of people come in and help you set up shop, if you will, to avoid landmines, to avoid doing things incorrectly to really change behavior and spread that behavior across the organization than to give all of the people strategic functions to one person and in the best case scenario, maybe there's two people there. What do you personally as a human think about that structure? Um, And then since you've been working inside of these companies that we inevitably want to potentially work with based off the same size and growth, how will they interpret and unpack that? Yeah. Um, that's that's my direct question to you.
1: Okay, so I'm going to go back through my previous experience and working with actually marketing agencies. Because yeah. when I, you know, when I used to, um, we didn't really talk about my background, but when I was in corporate initially for 13 years, I was at Prudential Financial, and I worked on the whole rebranding, historical repositioning of that company, and it taught me lots of lessons, right? Lots of lessons. But one of the things that we did do was. Um, we ended up hiring a marketing agency to help us create our master brand strategy and then really think about what are those sub campaigns within each one. We had six different business units, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason I bring up this parallel is because, you know, there are multiple different areas um, of expertise working under them. And then they had one sort of account rep that was in, in charge of of like the the core contact within our different departments, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a strategist, if you will, there was another person who did like, they just had account management, they had various roles. And I, you know, and as as I'm thinking out loud to what you just shared with me, I think there's a lot of merit to come in as a collective, have different experiences and different perspectives, on key areas of the company. The key is that that strategy from the beginning with the leadership team has to be solid. So if you're helping and supporting and strategy and then there's buy-in on it and then you're helping and supporting and implementation, you just have to stay so close to that CEO and that leadership team that they, they not only are obviously seeing the value in what you do, but your own team is totally on the same page right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is the only thing when you work in collective collective environments, like you need sort of that uh, anchor to make sure all is going in the right direction, whatever challenges are in the company are being addressed in the implementation. It's kind of like you're an integrator, right? And let me ask you a little bit about, about your model. Is your model to go in and set up frameworks and set up processes and, and help with that initial implementation, almost like train the trainer, and then you leave, and then you train the folks that are there, and then you, you know, potentially have uh, some consulting time if they need it? Or how does that, where do do you start and stop?
0: Yeah. So we start with a complete full mapping and an audit of the current behaviors of the leadership and, and where are they at right now from a skill perspective, from a desire to focus on this perspective. And then, you know, the companies that we're working with, they're actively looking and seeking for ahead of people. So that's kind of our marketing thing, right? Like, The companies that we're working with have actually currently right now in the process are looking for that head of people. And so what we're saying is, A, looks like the audit, and then going in, and then everything that you thought that you needed from that head of people and why you thought right now was the best time to bring them in, we build all of that. Like you said, processes, uh, understanding what the behaviors that are necessary contextually to this company right now. And then really what we do is we spread that across the entire organization within the executive team and the managers. So the different caveat with us is that number one, we empathetically, you know, unpack the employees first. So we put a lot of, a lot of effort into understanding the current status of the organization and what their needs are. And then what we really do is we say a lot of these responsibilities strategically and implementation wise, should not sit with one head of people it needs to be it needs to sit across the entire organization at the executive and management level and so there's a lot of change management and a lot of behavior change that needs to occur there and then what z looks like is in our collective rosters there's a lot of things right organizational psychology change management experts uh career mapping individuals Hey guys. So technology was not our friend. We got cut out there at the very end here. What you're going to listen to is we're going to start off by just summarizing everything you guys probably already heard. So I do apologize. Um, yeah, technology was not our friend for today's episode, but it's all good. We are going to get right back into this episode. Thanks a lot. All right. So we're here and I moved in the area. So I have more bars here. Um, so essentially, to, to wrap up this, uh, and then I'll do the editing here, uh, A looks like auditing the employees, auditing the leadership behavior, going in, you're looking for a head of people. We want to come in and set up all processes, set up all functions, set up all methodologies, frameworks, everything that you thought you were going to get out of that one person. We have a unit of five across eight major categories of people operations at a strategic level. Z, to get to your point and to your question, looks like this. Instead of having one person handle those responsibilities through and through, which I know personally, you probably know being a part of organizations that have had, you know, HR directors, people operations leads, you know, things of that nature. We want to stretch the function across the entire organization. So the executives and the management team. They need to carry the burden of the implementation as well, not just the head of people role. That's where you start to see head of peoples get burnt out. That's where you start to see organizations still have problems with culture. You know, uh, Keith is 25 years in this industry. Claire's 25 years. Angela, 15 years. You know, I'm kind of this weird hybrid entrepreneur, people operations guy. We've seen it through these growth organizations through and through. And so the final part of Z looks like this to also answer your question we have a recruiting function in our collective model. So we will then go out about six months into the nine month relationship and go and find you the head of people you were actually originally looking for. And then they will sit side by side with us and we will plug them in to what we have already began building. So that now you have someone to kind of, walk you fully across the finish line throughout the implementation and the change behavior. And then you'll have your head of people like you thought, but here's the beautiful part. You'll have everything set up that you thought that one person was going to be able to do, which was really probably going to take them four years. We're going to get you about 75, 80% of the way there over the course of nine to 12 months. And then they'll carry on the the remaining
1: 25%. Um so I got some questions for you, and points. it's, it's got to be three, three prong, cost, accountability, cost, accountability, and then buy-in, okay? Points, so points. cost, so to bring a team like yourself in who has, you know, obviously experienced uh, people strategy, human resources, and uh, executives, uh, you know, um, what is that? What, how are you looking at cost for a CEO to say, you know what, this makes sense, that's one. Two, accountability during this process, who is, like I I was sharing with you, the account management role within an agency, who is the accountable person, you know, because now from a CEO's perspective, having five people in uh, an organization that they have to manage instead of one, it's tough, right? Because they could be like, you know what, the people strategy person should be hiring these different people anyway for these different roles right Mm so that's the second and then the third is the buy-in so now you are nine months into implementation you have all these awesome processes and frameworks in place but what if the person who comes in I know you're hiring them so I'm assuming that that part of that is that they're connected to the culture and the vision and so that would be a good fit but what if they don't buy into the structure that you're already 80 percent in you know and want to Mm -hmm. change things those are three questions accountability cost cost accountability and buy-in
0: yeah so i have the answers but those are great questions i thought of those early in the process as well um cost so the cost is really simple uh the exact same amount roughly that you would be paying for ahead of people of one that's the exact price for us so if you want me to be transparent on the record i can tell you what it is um with with growth organizations that we are working with right um you know Ahead of people rolls typically anywhere between 110 to 175. Um, Our cost sits sits in between the 120 to 150 range. So, the price you would pay for one, we're coming in as a unit. So, we don't want you to pay more. And we're asking you, in most cases, to pay a bit less. So, that's the cost question. That's how they quantify that. In their mind, I don't want them to think that they're paying anything over what they would be paying for one person. They originally went into the situation thinking they're paying for a head of people role. I want to keep that natural kind of thought process the same Um, as far as the accountability structure. So me, Claire, Angela, and, um, and Keith, we are the founders and the account managers of the company, the collective. We have a big, deep roster of collective, our networks. We have a big roster of people that are connected to our company. And so we hold them accountable and we're the go-to Accountability partners for the CEO, the CTO, the COO, et cetera, right? So myself, Angela, Keith, Claire, we all share responsibilities across the full gamut of accountability and strategy. Um, and we hold ourselves accountable and the company accountable. We're the kind of the direct reports of the CEO of all those individuals. And then the collective members, they stretch across eight major categories, Um And then what was your last thing you were saying as far as
1: buy-in? So you're hiring and your people strategy head and you're 80% in implementation of things that they should be responsible for. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is we're typically nine to 12 months. So between the four to six month period of time, we'll reach into our recruiting uh, network and our collective, and we will find that head of people walk through the interview process, side-by-side white glove with the company to find the person that agrees and appreciates and supports what we've already began building. And then what we'll do is we'll start to, we'll start to bring them along the way. And, and we'll go into our pockets with that, right? So that's another caveat. The way that we set up our margins is along the way, they are now part of that unit of the collective, learning the processes, agreeing, actually getting in there, getting their hands dirty, getting some things done. So by the end of the nine to 12 month experience, it's very much their own as if they were there from the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, because we want to make sure those values align with what we've already began the process of doing. Um, so that's why we structured it so far. I'm willing for you to give me feedback based off of the you know companies you've worked with and your, your background. But um, yeah, that's how it's set up so far.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, again, for me with P- the head of people, it's more of, You know, as as I advise CEOs, what the work that I'm focused on is clarity of brand, clarity of business model, clarity of relationships, uh, you know, and ideal client type of thing. So, when when it what it means for a a people strategy head is what does that employee engagement strategy look like, and that I always find even in the conversation we've had is sort of missing in, in like, how do we get our employees to become ambassadors? How do we get, you know, obviously culture is, you mentioned that, and obviously it's a through line for you, but like for me, when you connect the employees to the bigger vision, to why we're really here, which is much bigger than yourself. And then, create these like employee rally cries, get everybody together, excited, let them know that, you know, um, some of the work that I do is help curating a brand promise, an internal brand promise that no matter what, for example, there's a company that I worked with or it was around beyond expectations. So everybody that we work with, every client, we're going to give them What they think they wanted but we're going to give them more so they're there from our brand perspective you know the person in delivery the person in sales the person in marketing the person who has to do invoices you know in the back who doesn't even believe their account facing if they mess up that accounting process and it goes to delivery and delivery delivers it, and then there's an issue, they are part of that process. You don't have to be client facing to be, uh, be part of the brand image, right. And the brand reputation. So everybody owns it. So that's, so that's my world, if you will, and how I uh, work with the heads of people or the heads of HR. And sometimes it's convincing the heads of HR that this is part of their role because um, I'm sure you've seen in growth companies that, you know, when when you initially get somebody who's the head of HR, they're focused on payroll and administration and benefits, all really important things and obviously really important things for recruiting, right? But now it's like for me, it's like, okay, now we need to get get the messages and and very clear in the way that we're recruiting people and attracting people and retaining and more so, you know, on the other end of things. So, yeah, it's um,
0: yeah. No, I was going to say, so everything you're talking about is actually what we do, right? So And maybe I should have made that pretty clear in the caveat, right? So none of what we do is setting up shop from like your traditional HR perspective. It's all the strategic stuff you're talking about, right? Internal communications, employer branding, you know, auditing the contextual nature of how the employees experience, how they actually want it to be within the company, whether that's workflows, decision-making models, career mapping, learning and development, um, you know, so in making them true brand advocates, because if they feel literally like they're a part of the process of building this organization, then they're not going to advocate it as hard as they can. So um, maybe I should have threw that in there in the very beginning, but yeah, like all of the work we do is incredibly strategic. None of it is uh, is traditional because typically, you know, this, if they've gotten to the 200 employee mark, 300 employee mark, they've done the bare bones HR stuff to some level of degree. Um, so we're not doing that. And then typically if they're looking for a head of people, my hope is that they will be looking for someone that's strategic as well. So
1: um,
0: all of our work is employee experience and employee engagement focused. Um, So, yeah, I I appreciate that feedback, though. I'm I'm glad that uh, it makes sense to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it has to make sense for the CEO if he's getting or she's getting more than one uh, brain, um, experienced folks. And again, those three things that I'm sure every CEO would have initial objections around is the buy-in the accountability and and you know focused on cost then you know you're hitting some of the key areas now it's just about proof points and testimonials and showing that what you guys do is uh, making the companies more effective and efficient and you know driving more sales or whatever your kpis and metrics are um yeah and so uh, there's definitely a model here i hear you obviously do it every day so um, it's, it's creative. Um, and I think there's a lot of merit in in where you're headed.
0: Beautiful. Well, let's, let's focus back on you for the last 20 minutes or so here, 25 minutes. I, I, I appreciate you giving me that context. Um, so let's, let's take a couple steps back. Um, but let's try to keep it super tangible for, for people. What would you say is one like day in and day out consistent problem that you either a just love solving for companies or B You're just seeing a bunch of and let's kind of walk through like either a case study really tangibly or like maybe even let's like role play a bit of like what those scenarios look like, the problems you're solving, the problems you're seeing and how you're thinking about it.
1: Yeah. So um, let's see. I think it's interesting. Some of the foundational work is always the hardest work for people, right? So in companies, like, for example, what I was going to share is really owning who your ideal client is and why that matters. So, you know, it sounds so, oh my God, that's obvious, Seema, but it's not because in the beginning as a company is growing, you know, you're kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall. You're you're working with different clients. Um, some may be, you know, the ones that see your value, others, it's just, keeping the lights on and, you know, making sure there's revenue in the door, especially if you have investors or not, regardless. So um, what happens is when you start working with people that actually don't value fully what you do, they drain a lot of your resources. They drain your energy. They take a lot more time and effort to um, service than a lot of folk times are who your ideal client is. And what you do is you also start, um, don't get enough time to go deeper in your ideal client's pain points. Get to know the right relationships. If you're working with, you know, B2B companies, like what, what, what is that next level of um, focus and alliances that you have to create to get to who you want to get after, right? And so I'll give you an example, an interesting one with um, a company I used to work uh, with as a CMO, as a fintech company. They started off initially as a, uh, the first fintech blog, I had about a million views a year Uh, and, you know, over time they evolved. They evolved as they're not, it's called Let's Talk Payments. They weren't just a payment blog. They were starting to evolve in overarching uh, fintech advisory and services and, you know, over the years that they, you know, they ended up um, doing work globally, but they actually had a very strong presence in, in Asia. Um, and as I was there, I was helping them with their rebrand and repositioning. And I remember getting a lot of pushback on, you know, we want to be a global company, you know, and, and you know, we, we can compete in the U.S. as we can compete in EMEA, we can compete in different places and you could. You know, but what happens is you start bifurcating because a lot of these companies are in growth mode, but they're still lean. You can only have a certain amount of people focused on sales, certain amount of people exactly. focused on delivery, certain amount of people focused on marketing. So if you're going after various different markets, they have different pain points. They have totally different potential economic environments, you know. And so what does that do that makes you start to, oh, we could do this for that person. That's fine. That's fine. we could do this for that person. But it, nothing is. Nothing is cohesive you're not owning a process a a framework, some which way that we are this company, this is how we work with people. this is who we're serving, and not only are we going to serve them we're going to serve them well right and so that to me it's interesting like I can say so many examples it's like it's the It's the foundational thing. It's, we always hear it, but it's the hardest thing and it, And some of this is just through Anthony learnings, right? It's like, God, okay, we've been in the company ten years. Let's sit in a room and brainstorm. But it also you have to have data, right? Your data and your market analysis is super important. Who are the people you know, depending on your business model, like what's the lifetime value of the customers that you brought in? What are the things that if we honed in on our capabilities here? You know, are there cross-selling opportunities? I mean, it's a much more, you know, detailed analysis of what that looks like. But as you do that, as you truly get focused on who you your ideal client is, everything changes, everything changes because you can get so much clearer on your marketing, your messaging, your offers and products, your frameworks, who you're going after, and how do you want to become a thought leader in the market? It's, it's that... It's it's that fundamental question. It's, it sounds easy, but it's the hardest thing to do for a lot of companies.
0: Do you find that CEO or executives' egos ever get in the way? How do you how do you think about ego? Oh. Um, ego's been something. So in, in in my neck of the woods here. When it, you know, so a lot of the work that we do, again, is very strategic. So we're focusing on leadership behavior and we're looking into like, you know, adjusting and change management. And one thing that I talk about all the time is like unpacking um, leadership's ego, removing that ego, because um, that ego can really impact the strategy. Are, are you feeling the same? Have you been seeing the same? How, how do you how do you think about ego? How have you worked with ego?
1: Ego kills businesses, <laughs> like number one, number one. It's interesting. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of companies I've worked with who have like, they've had winning models, right? It's kind of like when you get into, like, I'm a big believer, when you get that clarity, you make progress, when you get progress, you build momentum, When you build momentum. It's like, you feel like nothing can stop you. And I love that feeling. But you also, as an as a CEO of a company, you always have to step back and really look at the environment around you? What's changing? What's not? What, where do we have to keep our eye out? Like, what do we want to continue to look like in terms of as we grow up? And you know, this one actually is personal. So, like, I, I don't know, I haven't shared it on this podcast. but most people, if you've heard me in the past, like, I always speak about my parents' business because I grew up in small business. My parents used to own the first Indian vegetarian restaurant in Washington D.C. in the 1970s, so catty corner to the Washington, uh, the White House. And it grew to three, and there was a travel agency, big community pillar in every aspect. And over a 20-year span, I went from doing like really well to close to bankruptcy in 95 and everything shut down and lots of things happened after that but I realized like that's when I like I had my big like oh my god I need to really hone in on why businesses fail and why they succeed it's really important to me and then when I started I went to University of Maryland undergrad I got into my business classes I was like it was strategy, it was lack of communication, but really, I mean, it was wrong investment choices, but it was competition. It was competition. And I think that's where ego drives. Sometimes you're like, oh no, we're so good. We're pioneers. We got this, right? The same thing that happened with Kodak back in the day and multiple other companies that they were, they were doing so well, but you know, guess what? Your competition just ate you up. And especially in the day and age that we live in with innovation and technology and Everything with COVID going from industrial to digital overnight, you got, you got to keep your ego down. You know, what got you here may not get you there. Um, you know, that's why strategic planning, having these ongoing conversations are, are really important. So I think ego kills businesses. <laughs> that's the truth. So, so, so do
0: me a favor. I got a couple of CEOs right now that we're working with and I'm talking to that, that they don't want to hear me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this clip and I'm going to send this to them so I want you to talk to them for a second. Uh, I'm not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is weird. So uh, <laughs> talk to them directly. How, uh, give maybe give them a tangible tip or two. How how do they remove the ego? I I have a lot of things again in my neck of the woods that that we do around remove the ego. Um, you know, a weird thing that I, that we do. You know, the name of the holding company that that encompasses Startup EX stands for Employees First, Business Second. I remove the ego by you know, always living empathetically into the people that are working for me or with me and and living into their perspectives and and just trying to remove that 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 perspective of mine and living into theirs. But at a very strategic aspect of what we're talking about, how how do you remove that ego? How do you how do you uh how do you position that?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. So I you know it's interesting to just give advice. Hey, you know what, remove your ego and do this, you know, but for me it's always been I always get insights the first time I speak to a CEO and in part of that insight, I, you know, I ask certain questions of like, okay, we're like, it's funny. This is a fun, fundamental branding exercise. Hey, if you're a car today, what car would you be and why? Right. And then you, you, you listen to, and then you go, okay. So if you're a car in the future, what kind of car would you be and why? Right. And I actually a lot of times when I do uh, more of a strategy discussion with the leadership team, I ask the same all of their leadership team the same question and different ones. And I'll bring that up on screen and show the discrepancies of where people are today and where they want to go from the from a leadership perspective. And then I'll do it from the CEO's perspective. And what I realized to let go of ego is giving the CEO insights, the real insights that they didn't see. Right, and I think if you're able to connect the dots of opportunity, of you know, um, missed opportunity, of threats in their organization, uh, you know, I think that's when they start to like peel the wall back. Right, I mean, it, it, it's one thing to have somebody like Trump, who's like specifically, and I don't want to bring up politics, but he's somebody that would be really, really hard and difficult to take away his ego because this is the way he thinks and the way it is. Right. But if you're a CEO and, and my my target is normally visionaries, people who want to change the industry in some capacity, who have a passion, personal story, whatever it is. And that's the other thing I do. Um, I, I really like hearing people's personal journeys, pe- personal stories, their history, their family, like what happened in their life? Because business is personal. Right. So there is a ability of like really getting them back to why they started. Versus, you know, like, I know you've built this momentum and hey, I wouldn't be in this room if you didn't want to change something. That's the difference, right? I, I know I'm not in a room talking to a CEO if there's, they're not at that next phase of growth, you know, so they know that they need the help and the support. But I got to tell you, insights is what helps change the ego because you have to give them aha. they have to be like, wow, I didn't think about that. Because a lot of times these guys are, are and women, yeah, these women that, are in yeah. it to and win women. it. They're like, yeah. and women, right? And they're in it to win it, you know? And so like for them, you know, it's unless you give them something they haven't thought about, they're going to stay true to what they believe. And and the thing I would tell you on the other side of it is I am in awe of CEOs that have so much resilience, right? Because, there are companies that I work with like in the guaranteed in, uh, insurance income space. It's really interesting, really interesting company. You know, they're taking them a- here the last several years. And like, even when things are not working, that CEO, the way that he'll speak about his products and, you know, and it's just like, he doesn't believe it's, it's not going to work, right? And so there's an art and form um, of like, using that ego for good right because right. CEOs that resilience there there's nothing even when you don't agree with them because like it's just I've just seen the the one the ones that stand out are the ones like no like this is going to happen it's like a little bit of that Steve Jobs mentality of like I'm gonna drive it's gonna happen right so that there's there are uh you know some uh, nuances to wanting to keep some of that resilience i would say in the way and the passion you know but it doesn't have to turn into full-on ego i think that's the distinction there
0: i get really deep we let me stop saying I, I we get really deep into again behavior change and one aspect of it is we get really deep into like um like for instance angela uh is a uh an organizational psychologist um, um i did a lot of research around the surface level let me let me preface that. Um, you know, researching uh, neuroscience by diving deep into like Keith Ferrazzi and Christine Comerford and David Rock. And and so as we go through the work of ego, um, we always like to dig deeper. And this all often gets the CEOs uncomfortable. So I just wanted to th- toss it to you here and see if you ever do this. Do you ever dive deep enough where you can actually identify where the ego comes from?
1: Because
0: mm. um, typically... You know, so one thing that I've learned, you know, again, I started my first company at nineteen, started my second at twenty-one. So um, I definitely have not big as been as big as these companies that you're referring to, probably. But um, I both companies I've led, you know, fifty or so people, and so now being thirty, which I know seems so old, um, I now realize the source the source of a lot of my ego. I now realize a source of a lot of the insecurities. I realize the source of a lot of my lack thereof when it comes to strategy or leadership, whatever the case is. So I just call it out. Like before someone can even like be uncomfortable with me or whatever the case is, I just call it out because I know it's true. And so I can work on it. Um how do you think about that even deeper? Do you go that deep? Have yeah. you ever had moments where you go that deep?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because like so I'm 42. I'm a little older than you. Okay. It's so a my- <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, right? So But, you know, in my 30s, I did a lot of deep work. I did, like, Landmark Forum. I did Tony Robbins. I've definitely read a ton of books on, you know, just, you know, who, what's holding someone back? Like, what are the barriers? What does that all look like? and. Obviously, a lot of stuff like is deep rooted. And so when I say I I get very deep with certain, you know, in part of the framework with the CEO, it's really understanding their background and being able to pinpoint those moments. Right. But I do think, I mean, look, I think everybody's at different trajectories uh, on personal development, if you will. Um, I have no problems. You know, obviously, I have to, um, as I build relationships, that's probably it. sounds like for both you and I you know, building authentic relationships with the people that we work with. So to truly become a trusted partner, that's important. So if we don't do them any favors by not pointing out the obvious, right? And sometimes it's not the obvious for them, right? but if it 's a consistent theme, you see something that's getting in their own way, you have to point it out. You have to point it out, right, or if you're not doing your job like if 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 what whatever is happening within them is impacting their entire organization, and that is that's critical to point out right so um, I think there comes a comfort level um, I think you you have shown it with um, you know your research, and you guys have a lot of um, experts in the space of of, of organizational. Uh, theory, all the other things that you shared for me, it's like personal because of I've course. seen what egos done. Actually, Gary Vaynerchuk just turned 45. I don't know if you follow him, but it's he had fair. this whole thing about ego. He 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 rants about that <laughs> over and over again. And I don't know, you know, I uh, I respect him a lot because he's worked with some amazing brands over the years, and um, you know, what? a lot of people he had to change people's minds on the aspect of social media and the power of it, and you know, that wasn't easy. Um. So, yeah. So that's that's my take on it. I don't know if I fully answered your question. No, you but, did. No,
0: yeah. you did. You know, you know what? You know what's a fun fact um, about Gary? So, um, so like I said, I started the first company at nineteen, second one at twenty-one, and then ended my entrepreneur career at twenty-five-ish, and then the last five years I've been ahead of people. Do you want to know why I actually became ahead of people and stopped being an entrepreneur? Please um, tell me. Now I'm back again. Obviously, I don't know how that
1: happened.
0: <laughs> um, I, uh, I was fascinated by, so I've been a big Gary V fan since like 2000 and like maybe 11, like I'm talking like, you know, kind of like wine library as he was exiting that whole moment and like really started. And so fanboying out here a bit, but, um, besides that, one thing I really respected about him, um, and really what crafted my people operations point of view, because you got to remember, I'm not a traditional HR guy, right? So, um, when he was, when he brought on, uh, oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. I'm blanking on her name. Um, oh, my gosh. No, that's horrible.
1: That's this okay. That's a good
0: story. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Uh, I'll tell you her title. And okay. then her name will come to me. Okay. Um, her title is uh, Chief Heart Officer. Oh,
1: yeah. I know who you're talking um, about. I don't know her name, but. Claude mm-hmm. Silver. Mm-hmm.
0: When I, when he, because he has some content out there, actually, in my space, and When he when he would go on these big deep rants about leadership and how to structure an organization and the role of HR and how he you know financially and like structure wise kind of values her role as like a second slash third from a from a a organizational chart perspective if you will of how much power and autonomy that that role has that was the inspiration of of why uh, I really wanted to get into this work so I just wanted to throw that in there that. Um, he's an amazing entrepreneur, and he really motivated me to do what I'm doing now. In the way that he looks at it, and the way he crafts his point of view around it. Um, so, just a fun fact, if you. If no,
1: you're... I love it. I, I mean, it's funny because just over this last several years, this whole concept of people, like a people ahead of people, right? And it's like the startup space is taking up to that because culture, a lot of times, uh, they're realizing is super important to start from the beginning, and like it's just you know, certain organizations have it right from the start. And obviously they evolve and they still need help and support. But I just, you know, I think he had a lot to do with that. I agree with you. I agree with you. So
0: So let me do this. Let me live completely into selfishly towards you for the last remaining moments here. What I want to know is two very quick things. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to just rant and just brag about yourself for like three minutes about all the amazing things that you're doing what your company is, what you're a part of and what you're trying to inevitably create. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like, talk to me just about the strategic aspect of where you see yourself going, right? Like um, you're still very young. What do you see yourself doing in the next 10 or 15 years? Before we get to that point, I see that rebranding is a big conversation that you have with CEOs, executives, companies. You know, speaking of Gary Vaynerchuk, where does communications and social media whether it's podcasting, influencer marketing, uh strategic uh you know external branding executions, where does that stuff fall in with some of the work that you do?
1: Okay. So, let's start with the tactical and then we can go to the long-term 15-year plan, right? Of course. So, the first thing I would tell you is I, you know, when I worked I mentioned this earlier, when I worked at Prudential, I had an opportunity to work on the overall, what I call historic rebrand, because it was, it was award-winning. Um, we were tra- taking a stagio financial services company that was known as this insurance company and turning it into the modern company it is. But, you know, there's there are so many different aspects from retirement, billions and billions of dollars under asset center management to an international uh, company that was half the size of the domestic really interesting time okay and through that process what I learned is that you know when people think about rebrands they think about just changing logos and changing you know taglines and updating websites and that's not it you know and so I actually changed the concept of rebranding to repositioning, to scale, because this is an exercise that will change your brand position in the marketplace, but it will, it it is a strategic exercise. It is what, what, you know, going through a process where you're revisioning your vision and mission or revisioning who your ideal client is. And you're going through that framework that I shared earlier, that's going to impact your business model and that's going to impact sort of how you are seen in the marketplace how you are building thought leadership in the marketplace how you stand out against competition if you even believe in competition lots of people don't i don't if you if you position yourself properly right so i you know in general i i have a um i've done a lot of work with lean CEOs to larger companies to fortune 500, you know, not as many fortune 500. That was more in my corporate days, but I keep seeing like, these are tipping point decisions. I'm like, what is it? Like I, um, going back Anthony to my family and, and sort of what happened and sort of being obsessive about like, there's so many small and mid-sized businesses out there and they keep failing. Like what, am, what are they missing? Right. And so then I kept thinking about like, all right, there is a, you know, you start out, Startups fail, you know, 18 to 24 months, like eight to 10 of them fail. And then the people that survive within five years, half of them fail. And then it just keeps going. And I remember saying, like, I want to change those numbers. Like, what can I do differently from all the variety of experiences in different industries that I have? Because you know, after leaving Prudential, I, I um, was in two health and wellness startups, and I started uh, Disruptive.CEO. And I, I've just worked in from infrastructure to smart cities projects to um, you know government, as I mentioned, to various professional services, health and wellness, you name it. And what I found is these critical questions are the questions people forget to ask. So they go from this early stage, and ones that get to build traction, that's awesome, And then, you know, then they'll go into, okay. we need to put people process and technology in place, which you need to do in parallel anyway. But if you don't make these key decisions, sometimes things get lost in translation. And that is what takes away from uh, ultimate success for some of these companies. So that's sort of like my, you know, over the years and um, it's become my focus my passion is like i need to create a couple key frameworks that get people to think differently about their business because this is a yes it's a branding exercise but yes it's a strategy exercise but it's going to drive their strategy for all like you know even if you're a lean team a one person solo shop that's been a you know a lawyer and he's just focused or she's just focused on um you know doing legal work for entrepreneurs hey Let's get much more deeper than that what does that look like what have you learned and this process works for them and it works for those larger companies as well because there is those critical decision points before you get into like the entrepreneurial operating system or other things that are also going to help you with efficiencies and really be able to scale because you're putting standards in place okay so in terms of um the social media aspect and and um uh, social media and you mentioned Just like
0: external communication external
1: and... comm right so like in this process in the framework that i have it's like you're getting clarity on who you are where you're going who you're speaking to what your core capabilities and your ip is and the next phase of that is re-establishing authority Right. And in that, you have to look at a multi channel, depending on who your ideal client is. How do you build out your authority in the marketplace? What sort of um, branded assets? What sort of, if you're familiar, lead magnets? It could be thought papers, white papers, webinars. It could be, you know, panels. It could be a multitude of multimedia. Leveraging different social channels, and you know, if we were in person, in person channels, you know, there's multiple ways of creating thought leadership. It's also showcasing your your social proof and your testimonials, and and again, it it just keeps going. So that's the area that once you're clear, you got to relaunch. You got to relaunch strong, right? And there's a level of, I think uh, Gary talks about this too, because obviously he's like the content king of all content kings there is, and it's like. You know, people ask about quality over quantity and he says both, right? But he's like, quantity is important. Just get it out there. And I think by the time they go through this framework, it's more of like, all right, it's going to be quantity and quality because now we're going to be very clear and focused on what you want to be known for. So everything is going to kind of focus not only the type of content to attract your people, but put them in a sales funnel so that your sales team can actually leverage it the right way. Your marketing team is on the right page, your delivery people feel like we can actually deliver on that. It might be a stretch, but we'll get it. <laughs> like, you know, so anyway, so that's where that piece comes in. It's absolutely critical. Um,
0: do indeed... you, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say one, one other last little part to that, because I think there are some parallels between the work that I do and the work that you do. Um, and, and again, in my, in my kind of neck of the woods, you know, we, we, uh, we all, we often find there's not a lot of allocation of budget. Right. So, so, you know, Due to my background, you know, I can look typically look executives and CEOs eye to eye and really sit down and make strategy conversations and, and decisions around how to how to increase financial bandwidth there. Um, but that typically is a lacking department uh, or la- a lack a lack in that particular department when it you know pertains to people and leadership and and and, and developing talent. Um, how did you know how do you think about that in and where you play? That was something that Gary Vaynerchuk talked about early, early in some of his content. He was noticing a lot of companies for whatever reason, whether it was influencer marketing, whether it was a Facebook ad, whether it was SEO, whether it was, you know, one of your first two to three hires, not being what it prototypically would be, but having someone that's a full-time content writer, a full-time D-Rock kind of like he has. How do you do? You have conversations around reallocating or, or or strategizing budgets around getting them to change the behavior around where they spend their money around the things that we're talking about.
1: I I have with CMOS, but here's the deal: it's funny. One of my clients, she's a, a digital agency, and she's been in the space a long time. She was a former. Uh, she did a lot of work and newer projects with AOL back in the day and done a lot of digital communications over time. So, we're actually repositioning her company to be a content engine, a gro- uh, content growth engine. OK, and that's really exactly what her focus is on. So we have a lot of statistics right now that show and this is specific for B2B growth stage companies is how, why is content not only important, why is it essential in the world that we live in with COVID, but in general, because and there's a lot of facts that showcase like because your buyers want it, you need to be seen as this branded leader in the marketplace. How else are they going to be attracted to you? But part of it is people use content ineffectively right? So they're not seeing the engagement. They're not seeing like, um, they're like, we're putting stuff out there, but they don't have the right processes, the KPIs and the metrics, or they haven't trained their sales and marketing team to leverage it appropriately. So it just becomes like, all right, there's this thing on the shelf, right? And so we've done it, we've allocated budget, but it doesn't work. It's just like everything else, right? It comes like, comes back to we've done it before the market, you know, or our market. And it's one thing it's so funny with um, in parallel, and I talk to CEOs and they're like, oh, we're hiring our CMO. I was like, all right, great. What is the, uh, what is her or his staff look like? You know? exactly. And then he goes, well, and I'm like, you guys are expecting this one person, this one poor, poor, poor person <laughs> to do all exactly. of this work. And they're going to be your like a savior. And I was like, understand that's not going to happen. And I'm such an, like you are for people strategy. Oh, okay. I am an advocate for marketing strategy because I'm like, There's so many pieces because the same person, I mean, they're different people who understand developing a website versus even strategically putting together a website and the graphic design and the content and copy and sales copy is its own, you know, industry. And like, I can keep going. Right. So it's like, it's, you don't they don't know what they don't know but yet there's a limited budget so anthony it's like you gotta you know and depending on their needs and depending you know like you i do uh, asset audits and see what's already there and what can be leveraged right so it's like leverage will come first because sometimes it's just reallocating what they already have into certain channels. Right. And this is either, you know, the CMO will make these decisions or they work with other agencies, but I, you know, I bring together certain agencies that I trust. So I know that I can, you know, help. Um, Sometimes what I believe is like the disconnect is between the business. And if you're, for example, for me, if you're working with a marketing agency, you don't always get the point across because the marketing agencies are pretty smart But if they don't fully understand the business, they're going to know what they know and they're going to do what they do. Right. So you need that lot. You need that um, liaison. And I end up being a liaison for a lot of these companies, you know, in certain aspects. So it depends. It depends on um, the role. But um, so budgets are It's just an interesting one. I think you got to you got to focus on clarity, then leverage and then where they're going to see the most growth. And it can't be everything at all at once. It just never works. right? you have to build the ROI in. Well,
0: let, let's 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 end with this. Looking for some feedback here. Um, outside of the technology not being our friend today, um, I know you didn't necessarily know what to expect and what you were getting into. What are your thoughts about the format and how this today's conversation with? I personally thought we uh, we really talked shop today, and I think I think it was super organic and natural. And I think a lot of people will enjoy this. What are your What are your thoughts? No
1: pressure. Yeah, Um. two things. I do want to answer your question before where I see myself in 15 years. So yeah, I that that. In a while. yeah, I didn't forget <laughs> so about that. So I definitely that. want to get back to that. But I would say, you know, like this was fun for me because normally it's funny because it's in my nature to be prepared and, you know, all right, what are the questions he's going to ask and blah, blah, blah. You know, this was, and it, we weren't on video, which is like, you know, it's one of those things that I'm like, I just it was easy. Right. And it was easy to have a conversation that you feel comfortable having you can go back and forth with somebody who also understands but you know we may have uh similar and different perspectives on things so um it felt very organic uh hopefully it's going to be helpful and useful for um the folks that you serve the folks that i serve others that are just listening in you know i think for anything that i do uh going forward and it seems very similar to you is if i'm not adding value why am i not why am i in the conversation i learned that really early from a mentor so Um, I appreciate you reaching out and like, you know, uh, you know, this format is actually, it's fun. It's fun. I think we, um, we did it. We talked about a lot in a little bit of time.
0: We did. We did. All right, go. So tell us what, what's (laughs) happening next for you.
1: So it's interesting because, um, You know, there's this framework is something I've been working on for 15 years and now I'm finally putting it together and I and I've been like using it and validating it. And it just it's like something that is going to be the jumping point for much more. So there are three parts of the business. There's the CEO advisories, very focused on CEOs and building out their next phase of business model um the and then the main thing is around this whole repositioning to scale so my version of rebranding which is much more strategic in nature um and and i'm going to take that to the virtual stages because i think the other aspect of this is there's a lot because this framework can work in multiple different um it doesn't you don't have to be a five to uh, two hundred. 300 person shop, right? This framework can work if you're a solopreneur, because Mm -hmm. these decisions need to be made. And to be honest, I think there's like 80% of the businesses are very lean in this country, very lean, right? One person, maybe two, right? And so when we talk about like, I have, I, I truly Uh, in terms of focusing on servient leadership, like I really want to help change this whole number of like all these businesses failing. And I just feel like there is a lot of merit and continuing to advocate for, um, the right decision-making at the right time, getting people to own it. Because the one thing, you know, Anthony, I wonder, you know, you always hear, um, it's always struck me where people are like, oh, you got to work on your business, not in your business, you know? And I'm like, okay. And, you know, obviously when you get to the higher levels of, you know, multiple different levels of executives, you're doing the strategic planning as needed. Mm-hmm. But the younger companies and the ones that are lean, they don't, they don't do that. They, I feel like a lot of people don't know where to start. Right. And so I've seen a lot of companies, smaller companies who have done a lot of work. They're experts, like truly experts in what they do, but they just it's like they can't get over that hump. Right. And so I have a a, like a, a soft spot long term to really create programming that's affordable to help, you know, the masses in that way. So that that's the long term goal. Um, There will be a book, there will be a TED Talk, you know, there, it's a, that's all coming. Um, And I'm really excited about it. And the more people I can help and support, the more partners I can have, like yourself and others. So, you know, we can look at partnerships and look at ways of helping supporting the right companies together, you know, that's what it's all about. So I'm excited about it.
0: Well, I appreciate this. Um, I need to run now so that I can sit down and get to the editing because the technology was not our friend today. So I need to chop some things up, but I think it will come out nicely. Um, I'm going to send it over to you. Please share if you can. And uh, and then in a few weeks here, uh, maybe uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put some time on the calendar to have more of a formal conversation. And maybe I'll maybe I'll invite Angela, who's my partner. And we'll we'll find ways to to bring value to each other because I know some of the future companies we're going to be serving could uh, most definitely probably use some of your support as well.
1: Awesome. And if anybody's looking out or need any more information on me, it's uh, my website is disruptive.ceo. Disruptive.ceo. This is Seam Alexander and Anthony. It was a pleasure having this conversation. So thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much. We'll talk soon.